Uh, tonight, um, my message is called To Rule. It was uh, To Rule or Be Ruled, but I like the upgrade. <laughs> so there's three things I'm going to cover tonight. The first is, what is the expressed mission of God? Number two, what is your role within that mission? And then number three, I'm going to show you how we are totally missing it and blowing it. Everyone say, blowing it. And I want everyone in this room to be activated in the move and mission of God. But how can you be if you don't know what it is and you don't know what your role is and you don't know what you're doing wrong? So we're going to go through this rather quickly because what I want to spend is the bulk of the time on the end. So what is the express mission of God? People are like, I just want to know what God is doing. Well, surprisingly, the Bible actually tells us in pretty clear terms what he's doing. Colossians 1.19 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, everyone say all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How many know that when the Bible says all things, it means all things? Good. God is on mission reconciling all things to himself. And he's doing that through whom? Through Jesus. Ephesians 3.10 says, his intent was that now, through the church, everyone say church, church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that's um, kind words for demons, demonic, strongholds, devil, evil. Got it? So God is on mission to renew all things and reconcile them to himself and that through the church, you and I, that the truth of God will be brought to strongholds and to break strongholds. Now, where's Jesus in all this mix? Galatians 2.20, this is one of my favorite verses, says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's important that you see that, that you no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Christ dwells within you. He dwells within me. He is inseparable from you. If there's one truth you ever get from the Bible, it's this, that you are inseparable from Jesus. And it's not you who live, it's Christ who lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says you are actually the temple of God. That's why we don't have like formal temples with curtains and priests that go in. It's because you now in flesh and blood are the temple of the spirit of God. So why is Jesus living in, inside you? It's not like he didn't have another place to rent, right? He's living in you. He's the king of all authority, but he decided to live in you. Why? Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Within you right now, Jesus dwells, he lives, and he is yearning for the desires and acts of your heart. It's how we get the, I just feel like I need to do something. It's like, well, Sherlock, that could be Jesus, you know, telling you that you should do that. Jesus is, is yes, he's, he's on the throne, but he's on the throne of our hearts too. He's inside us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, and he ties it all of these thoughts together. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What is God's mission? It's reconciling all things to himself on heaven and earth. Remember all things? 
Where does Christ reside? Where does he live? He lives inside us. What is he doing? He is working in us to create desires and to draw us into acts according to his good purpose. What is our role? Our role is the ministry of reconciling the world to God. God has called every single one in this room into mission with him. Every single one in this room has been called into partnership with God, into reconciling and renewing all things back to him. In other words, we got a big promotion at the cross. We got a huge promotion at the cross. Now we think about the cross and we think about who humanity was before the cross and who humanity is after the cross. If you've received Jesus as your savior, look at the language that the Bible gives when it talks about you. It first calls you friend. It says that everything has been made known to you. That's John 15. Romans 8 says that you are more than conquerors. 1 John says you're victorious and overcomers. Romans 8 says you're an heir of God, fellow heirs with Christ, and heirs of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians says you are co-laborers with Christ and you're fellow workers. 2 Corinthians 5 says you've become the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says that you have the mind of Christ. John 14 says you're capable of doing greater things than Jesus. That's pretty intense. 1 Corinthians 6 says nothing will master you. 1 Peter says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Revelation says you are a kingdom and you are priests. And the Psalms talk about the crowns that we've been given. Hmm, that sounds like there's a lot more going on about us than we realize. It almost sounds like as if we are way more significant spiritually than we are in our own minds. That God's picture of who we are oftentimes greatly outweighs our picture of ourselves. And because of this, because of what the Bible says about us, we have to look at how Jesus then refers to us and what he draws us in with him. And because of what he did on the cross, God welcomes us into his mission. Look at these passages that should blow your mind. Isaiah 118. This is a prophetic passage talking about the salvation, about our sins as though they were scarlet, becoming white as snow. He says, when that happens, he says, come now, let us reason together. The creator of the universe is saying, come, let us reason together. He's like, hey, Let's figure this thing out. Isn't that incredible? Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Matthew 16 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Romans 5.17 says those receive the abundance of grace and in the gift of righteousness will reign. Everyone say reign. In life through the one Jesus Christ. John 15 says I no longer call you servants. Everyone say servants. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I've called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I've made known to you. Matthew 28 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you authority. Isn't this crazy? If, if that doesn't turn you on, you don't have a switch. 
When you read these passages about who you are in the Bible and what Christ made in you to be, it's amazing that we aren't just overwhelmed. Let me summarize all that for you really quick. It says, the, the king of all creation is using words like fellow heir, fellow worker. He is personifying you as his own righteousness. He has called you royalty. He has called you a kingdom. He has given you a crown. We have been given a kingdom. We've been given keys to kingdoms. We are to reign and we are to bring the manifold wisdom of God into rulers and authorities, meaning strongholds and the demonic. I submit to you, that we are co-rulers in this age with Christ. When you piece all these things together, what we have to come to when we look at the imagery and the words, we are co-rulers with Christ on earth in this age. And our redemption came our promotion as co-rulers with Christ. My favorite description of this is in Revelation. It calls us king priests or priest kings. It says it twice. Priests, what do they do? They reconcile people to God. Kings, what do they do? Is they rule and defend a kingdom. Kingdom means king's domain or a king's realm or an area territory. And I believe each one of us in this room has been given a domain, a realm to rule and to bring back into reconciliation to God. There's not a single person in here who doesn't know Jesus who's not been given a territory, a realm, a domain to be the king over. And every time you respond to God in your life, you are reconciling that moment, that situation, that time, and that context back to God. Remember, his mission is reconciling all things to himself. And so every time you respond to Jesus and to what the, the God of the universe is drawing in your heart, you are participating in bringing that thing back into redemption to God. Every place you go, you take Jesus because Jesus is residing in you, right? And therefore, everything you do is an attempt to God to reconcile it to himself. Remember, God so loved the the world, not God so loved the church. God so loved the world. God created everything and everything was what? Was it good or was it okay? No, it was good. So when we participate in music, when we participate in dance, when we participate in startups, yeah. When we participate in technology, when we participate in business and medicine, we are reconciling those things back to God. There is nothing that is unsacred in the world because it's only things that have not yet been reconciled to God. So if you work at the state, you are reconciling government to God somehow. I'm not going to get my mind around that. <laughs> if you are a student, you are reconciling a campus and a student body to God. If you paint, you are reconciling creativity back to God. Now, there are certainly perversions of all these things, right? And perversion means basically the wrong version, the best way you can think of it. There are things in this world that God created good that man has turned and made it as an instrument for evil, but God is in the process of taking those things that have been used for evil and redeeming them back to himself. And so whatever passion and whatever desire and whatever calling and whatever vocation you have, that is a mechanism for God to reconcile that instrument back to himself. And you participate in whether you're a student or a job, an exam, whatever it is, you are in the co-laboring with him to bring it back into sacredness and back into union for God to complete his mission. Are you with me? And so whatever you do, 
You are a kingdom and a priest to that realm and that domain. I believe the desires of our heart are actually indicators of the territories we need to rule. The desires, the giftings you have, they're not as much like time wasters on earth. How many know that, that earth is not a waiting room for heaven? We're just like, all right, come on. You know, like he's, his mission is, is to redeem all things back to himself. And so those things that are within you that are just inexplicable, I believe that is God's special anointing for you to be a king of that domain, to be a ruler of that area, to be a participant in reconciling that back to him. And so whatever you do, whether it's flipping burgers, you are a kingdom ruler over that grill. Amen? As you rule... You reconcile. As you rule in whatever you do, as you rule in that area, you reconcile. And as you reconcile, you're bringing heaven to earth. This message kind of came about as, I don't get visions very often. I'm like visionary, but I don't get like very detailed spiritual visions at all, uh, very often. Hopefully more. I'm going to speak that word over (laughs) because I'm feeling a rebuke coming from like the front aisle here. <clears throat> so uh, there's this imagery, this vision that I, I got, and I was, it was from this exact perspective. I wish I could just like, you know, um, I was looking out. And so every, every person in every seat had a crown. And every, every person, and the crowns differed. Some were shiny and new. And some were dusty and old and tarnished. Some were big, some were small. And then the shiny ones, some of those even had jewels. And they had stones in them. And the first thing that I realized is that every person had a crown. Not a single person didn't have a crown. But the ones that were shiny were the ones that people recognized who they are in Christ. They recognized and identified themselves as royalty, as a son and daughter of the king. And the ones that, had, that were shiny and that had jewels, like the jewels represented different kingdom victories that they had, whether it was a victory in family, whether it was a victory in addiction, whether it was a life saved, there's these different crowns and jewels with them that represented all the different victories. And the ones that were dusty were the ones that they were still kings and queens, except they just had never realized there was a crown on their head. And so that's how I got to this point of wanting to share this message, because I believe the Bible makes it really clear that we're all kings and queens, but many of us just don't know it yet. And so I want to shape your theology first to show you what the Bible says about you and what his mission is, so therefore I could give you this, is that we are kings and queens, but we have also, every one of us, have lived past lives as peasants. Though you and I are kings and queens now, we have all lived past lives as peasants, and we get to decide now how we want to live. And it is possible for a king to live like a peasant. And since we're so familiar, many of us, with living as a peasant, it can be hard to switch into kingship identity. So when you want to decide if you want to live as a peasant or king, remember this. It is easier to be ruled than it is to rule. If you're wrestling with like, wow, the Bible says I'm a ruler, I'm a a co-laborer, I'm a fellow heir, I'm like, you know, like I I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you that the the fact of the matter of living this out is it's going to be far easier to be ruled than it is to rule. It's easier to be a peasant than it is to be a king. Why? Because a king has the burden of making a choice. 
A king has the burden of making a choice. Remember what that incredible passage is in Isaiah 1, 18? Come, let us reason together. The God of the universe saying, well, what do you think? Uh, change my pants now. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. The thought of reasoning together with God terrifies Christians because it demands that they speak up and provide their opinion and their choice. Many of us have that thought about God asking your opinion for something doesn't feel good. It's like, I, I don't know, but that is what our royal position in our calling is, is to actually co-labor with him. And someone without a choice is ruled. Someone without a choice is ruled. They are a peasant. Partnering with God is about relationship. But attending church and making about attendance is religion. And I've fallen this boat, and I'm not naming names, though I, no, I wouldn't want to go there. Um, <clears throat> many Christians would simply like to do the bare minimum for what's required in their relationship with Christ. That, okay, I got the salvation deal going, and so now I'm going to, like, coast. I did my job. I'm there. As long as I get seen by the pastoral staff, I'm good. You know, and as long as I go to that Bible study every seven weeks, you know, and people think I'm okay, then I'm, I'm good. Now, I identify with this kind of minimal effort theology, if you will, because I was terrible at many subjects in school. I was bad at chemistry, biology, math, English, um, basically all of them. I was like, not that great. And I hardly ever studied to learn and apply. I studied to pass the exam. Someone say amen. Have you ever like gone through class like, I just need the grade. I just, I, I remember like finishing school and like, how can I flush all this stuff out of my head? My focus was on the letter grade and survival to the next stage. I had no interest in ever remembering mitosis or the quadratic formula or what a derivative was. And honestly, God, I don't even know what any of those things are. <laughs> it's terrible. I simply needed to make sure I passed. But that's the description of many Christians today, that they want to know that as long as there is a fire, that they have the insurance policy. They want to know that simply that at the end of this universe, if the universe collapses and they stand at those pearly gates and they have like the right paperwork in the back pocket. Like as long as I don't go to that really hot place, I'm good. And that's all the effort they're going to put in. But decide now. Decide here now if you want to live in Christ where you co-rule and reign and co-reign and co-inherit or if you simply want to aim to pass the test. If you want to simply pass the test and never rule, you can tune out for the next few minutes. So the question becomes, we're all kings. I'm just going to say kings. Is that all right? Like Galatians says, there's neither male nor female. So I'm just going to run with kings so no women feel upset, especially after the last series I just did on how powerful you guys are. <laughs> So the question is, we're all kings, but how do we be a king in the kingdom? How do we behave like a king in the kingdom? And these are the revelations I've had um, on kings that are instrumental for us. And, and I want to just quickly go through some of these. The first is that a king never forgets he is a king. When a king wakes up, looks in the mirror, it's like, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> a king never forgets who he is and his role and his position. And I can probably say that every time I've ever struggled or fell, it's because I'm acting like a peasant, not like a king. 
Every challenge, every struggle can be traced back to I'm behaving like somebody I'm not. And even now, like it's, it's one of those things that comes after me. Like it's easy to focus in and operate on what's wrong instead of what's right. I often think in, in these times in terms of what's out of my control instead of ruling from what is in my control. Those are two different things. There's so many things that are going to be out of our control. If we focus on what's out of our control, we are incapable of ruling what we do control. I think about what I don't have instead of what is in my domain. And every shortcoming in my potential and every failure as a man, as a husband, as a son of God comes because I'm not acting like who I am in Christ because I've forgotten. The next thing is a king who does not defend his own kingdom welcomes adversaries. A king who does not defend his own kingdom welcomes adversaries. When you live your life as a peasant for God instead of a co-ruling king with God, you invite adversaries. The lack of strength in your life invites thieves. It's like a car that has like the little lock on the door, like that's open and an iPhone on the seat. You're like, you're begging me to steal that. It's how like the, they've shown that the sticker on the window saying protected by such and such security is more effective than the security system itself. If you want to protect your house, instead of investing in the huge alarm system, just buy a sticker, apparently. <laughs> but those things, those anti-theft systems, the cameras that are there, they sell like fake cameras too, right? They sell fake cameras that don't have electricity, like the subway we went to today. <laughs> that deter some people from stealing. <laughs> and to Eric's point earlier about um, the enemy, that thieves go for easy targets. If you get, keep getting stolen from, it might be because you've made yourself an easy target. Strongholds that remain in your life become easy targets. It's like walking around with a big bullseye on your back. But I'm not saying that any attack from an adversary means that you don't defend yourself because in addition to, to thieves choosing easy targets, they also go to where the valuables are. If a thief thinks that he can get away with something simple, he'll do that, but he'll also strategize and plot how to get into the casino in Las Vegas with the vault with all the money. You know, like that movie, what is it, Ocean's Eleven? Such a good movie. I always think about that. Like, I don't... I think about when I go to the TSA security, like, I wonder how I could get, like, a knife through here. I, I don't even own a knife. There's something rebellious in me that just wants to, like, jip the system. I don't know. Anyways, I'm getting off target. But if you are an easy target, you can anticipate that you'll get stolen from. And if you are a high-value individual, like a king or a queen with domain and rulership, you can anticipate attacks. But the difference between those two is the degree of success. The difference between someone who does not defend their kingdom and someone being a high-value target that's being attacked is the degree of success from the enemy. You might get attacked, but not be stolen from. You might have someone that comes and like tries to hack through that door and that window and tries to break in. You might have like damage, but what was valuable wasn't stolen. That's the difference. That is, you're valuable. You can anticipate that you're going to draw adversaries, but the difference is you won't get stolen from by someone who refused to protect what is valuable and they're careless in their life. And how a king rules keeps enemies away. You guys 
Remember like schoolyard little skirmishes? Like some little weenie kid was getting picked on. And then like he gets this little amount of courage and just wham! Like hisses the guy and like no one ever messed with like the squeamy guy again, you know? Like how you rule, I like what Eric said about like if you get knocked down, throw the blood back. Because how you rule and how you defend and how you keep enemies away is noticed by the other kingdoms. Next, a king that does not know his enemy gets defeated. A king that does not know his enemy gets defeated. Jesus talks in Luke chapter 14 about what king goes to battle and does not count the number of men in the other king's army. He's like, silly. Clearly, before you go to war, you need to make sure that the other king across the town doesn't have 500,000 more men than you have. And you need to know your own vulnerabilities better than your enemy. You need to know uh, what could come against you. If you are curious about what are the, what are the things I have to defend myself and what are the, the areas for attack, just read the last chapter of Ephesians. It talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Whole other message, but you can go there. And um, what I like to try and think is, is if you were to plan your own demise... If you were to plan your own demise, because we know ourselves better, right, than anybody else, what would you do? What time of day would it be? Where would you be? What circumstances, what kind of mood would you be in? What happened financially in your life? What happened in all the other areas of your life that would be the perfect scenario for the enemy to come in? So think about and say to self, self, if I were to attack myself, what would I do? And just make a plan and adjustments so that that scenario is never possible. There's a, a, pa- a few pastors I know that they, um, they will never drive in another car with another woman. They'll never be in another room um, in another woman's house with her alone. He's like, it's impossible for me to have an affair if I'm alone with another woman. And so he just eliminates that entire scenario altogether. Next is kings don't fight insignificant fights. Kings fight significant battles that are worth winning. Kings don't fight simply to fight. They don't engage in foolishness. It's important that as kings and queens in the kingdom that we preserve our spiritual energy and don't get caught up in things that are not worth fighting for. I look at so much of what Christianity is publicly and I'm like, why are we wasting all this energy in all these fights? Is this really a worthwhile battle? There's still sick people, right? There's still people who don't know you, right? And we're going to invest all this energy and make our entire faith about these, these pet project topics. The word says, don't cast your pearls before swine, meaning you are so valuable. What God has given you is so valuable. His giftings are so valuable. Don't just throw those at any topic and any issue, but preserve your strength, preserve your wisdom, because it's important we use it for things that are worthwhile. Are you guys good? Here's a deep one. Kings believe in their own authority. You might say, yeah, I have authority. I don't believe in it. Those are two different things. You can say, yeah, the Bible says I have authority. And there's a totally separate topic from believing I have authority. Kings are not insecure about their own authority. They have confidence in their authority and rulership. If we are reading our Bible, we do not need to be continually convinced that we're powerful people. At some point in time, you need to, be, you need to stop having to be convinced that you're a powerful person. 
At some point in your relationship with Jesus, you need to be stop, you need to stop being convinced and being persuaded that no, I really am like strong, I really have authority. We need to be convinced of our own transformation. We need to live it. Kings are also motivated by their own role and responsibility. Kings are motivated by their own role and responsibility. Uh, kings don't need to go to motivational conferences, typically. There's no, like, get motivated, Kings 2015. Like, they don't attend those things. <laughs> the identity and the privilege of being a king brings its own motivation. And you look at the apathy in most churches and most Christians, you're like, you're a king, you're a ruler. What's wrong? You're more likely to get depressed from the average Christian um, instead of being inspired. You know, like, no wonder, like, a lot of our churches are empty because I think they're looking at a lot of Christians like, I don't want what you have. Like, that looks like a downgrade of life for how you're responding. We need to, like, live a life that has the confidence and motivation that you are actually co-laboring with the creator of the universe and every decision you are making is bringing something closer back to their God's original intent and purpose. And you'll be motivated by your decisions and your behaviors when you believe that you are instrumental to that part of ruling and co-ruling and co-reigning with Christ. Here's my um, favorite one. I'm almost done. Uh, buckle up real quick because someone's going to get offended. <laughs> a king serves, but a king is not a servant. A king serves, but a king is not a servant. Here's, you know one of those little phrases that kind of annoy you? Oh, man, I'm so tempted to say a lot, but I'd offend way more people than I want to offend right now. <laughs> um, here, here's one for me. I'm just serving the Lord, brother. Just serving the Lord. Been serving the Lord for 20 years. Been serving the Lord this. All right, cool, cool. Um, Oh boy. <laughs> so, let, let me back this up a little bit real quick because I feel I'm starting to go somewhere I don't want to go. I'm not meaning how, how long have you known Jesus? How long have you been devoted to Jesus? I get that. But serving the Lord, serving the Lord, let's, let's talk about this real quick. Mark 10, 45 says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. What do we do in serving the Lord if he came not to be served? Oh, I'm just serving the Lord. So you're a servant. Yes, I'm a servant of the Lord. Okay. Uh, John 15 says, I no longer call you servants. I just changed your job description to friend and you are downgrading it back to servant. What's up with that? And the point is that we can get so caught up in serving God that we never do what he came to do, which is to serve others. Remember, because Christ is in us. If we really are like serving the Lord, we're kind of serving ourselves because he's in us, right? He's within us. He's in everything we do. And we get so caught up in that that we never do what he came to do, which is to serve the other people. And when you say you're just a servant of God, you're doing something that's very specific. There's a difference between being a co-ruler and being um, a servant of God. And here's the difference is that when you say, I'm just a servant, you are removing all responsibility the equivalent is someone who says, oh, I'm just an employee. You know, like, blame the other guy. When you say, I'm just an employee, you're basically absolving yourself of any responsibility. 
just like, I'm just a servant of God. Don't shoot the messenger. Well, you're the one holding the sign, you know? Like, <laughs> let me say this. God did not redeem you, go on the cross for you, raise you with him, die with you, decide to share all his reward with you just so you could be an employee with no responsibility. Because my Bible says, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. It's like I've given you the keys to the Ferrari. I'm just an employee. Well, employees don't drive the Ferrari. They drive the beat up Volkswagen. He's like, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Sorry if anybody has a Volkswagen. I love you. And, and Christians like complain about what's going on in the world. The same people, I'm just serving the Lord. And they complain about what's going on in the world. Well, who did Jesus leave in charge when he left? Shouldn't you be complaining to yourself? We don't need to have people serving the Lord. We need to have people start ruling with the king. Because when we rule with the king, we begin to care about what's going on. Every day, people stand by at the problems in the world and do nothing. All the while, they say, I'm still serving the Lord. You cannot serve the Lord and, and do nothing. Serving the Lord, by its very definition, is doing something. But most people, they forget. Remember, they forget they've been given authority to do something about it. And people are dying and suffering and people are perishing in this world all the while we're saying we're waiting for the Lord to do something. And I think the Lord is like, I'm waiting for my people to do something. All the time we're waiting for God to have this breakthrough. Maybe he's like, I'm waiting for you to go break through it. Don't look at me. I've given you the keys. I've given you the inheritance. I've joined you with me. We're doing this together. Let's reason together. Why don't we do this together? And, and yet we say, no, I'm just a servant. I'm just an employee. Send the big guy to do it. It's time that we as a church actually realize that we have keys to co-reign and to co-participate in the breakthroughs that we want to see. And the best way to really serve the Lord is to rule with them. And part of being a Christian, as Romans 12 says, is that we have a renewed mind. You guys know that passage? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Does anybody know what is right after that verse? So you will be able to test and approve. What? Hey, I'm so proud of you guys. That's great. So you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Part of your rulership with God is the capability to say, this is not God's will. Part of your rulership with having a renewed mind so you can be able to test and approve what God's will is, by very definition, means that not all things are God's will. Not everything a Christian does is God's will. Not everything a church does is God's will. You've been given the renewed mind to be able to see and to look and say, I'm a co-ruler here, I'm a co-owner, and I have the keys to this, and I'm going to say that that is not what God intended in his purpose. The best way to serve the Lord is actually to redeem and to love his people. Jesus proved this point when he goes to Peter after the resurrection. He's like, Peter, yes, Jesus, do you love me? Of course, Lord, I love you. What does he say? Well, then go put a cross on that building for me. And he says, then feed my lambs. 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then go start a 51C3 with my name. I love nonprofits. I'm not knocking them. He says, no, yes, Lord, take care. He says, yes, Lord. He says, then take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Then feed my sheep. Every test that Jesus gave, do you love me, actually wound up to, what are you doing for all of them? Not what you're doing for me. How many tabernacles did you build for me, Peter? Zero. Good. Jesus didn't want the tabernacles. Remember, he says that when you do it for the least of them, you do it for me. If Jesus wanted you to be doing things for him, Jesus would have asked Peter specifically what he did for Jesus. Instead, he's commanding what he should do for others. And finally, a king, how to be a king and rule. A king that does not rule has no authority. A king that does not rule has no authority. There's a difference between being a king and being a king that rules or governs. It doesn't matter what kind of car you have in the garage if you never drive it. The nicest, fastest, most amazing car in the world is just an expensive pile of metal unless you drive it. You have been given all authority and Christ lives in you. He is willing and designed within you to act according to his purpose, to renew and reconcile all things to himself. Now, all of that is completely meaningless unless you respond and begin to use your authority here and now. We are preparing a wedding for the groom. The imagery for Jesus returning is that the groom's coming. And we are preparing for him to come back. The word actually says that we can hasten his return based on how we live. Let me clearly say this is that the refusal to rule or govern in your own life, in this place. Every area in your life where you refuse to rule, you will find yourself being ruled. Every area of your life that you refuse to be the ruler over, inevitably, eventually, you will find yourself being ruled. First Corinthians says, you shall have no master. When people say, oh, I'm, I have this addiction, I have this thing, it's like, well, the word says you have no, nothing will master you. You get to decide what takes place in rulership in your life. So be master of every area of your life. And if something rules over you, it's because you are giving it permission to. It has access to do that. And every stronghold in your life, you'll find a door unlocked and likely a welcome mat out front. I can tell you that most sins I kind of anticipated and planned. I wasn't like surprised, like, how did this happen? You know, like, I was kind of a participant in it. I kind of welcomed it. And you will remain in captivity as long as you desire to be ruled by it than to rule over it. But most people, again, the mindset of a Christian is not to rule, it's to survive. Survive so that the final day I got the paperwork and I get into the pearly gates. I have the band come up if they're going to come. Check this out. Why is it important that you rule and have victories on this earth? We all get rewards. Like the Bible says that we'll get rewards. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the things that will be given to us for how we live. Do you know that Jesus also gets a reward? That Jesus has an inheritance? Do you know what it is? 
Ephesians 1.18, it's us. You, you are what Jesus gets. <laughs> now you're really scared. Jesus going to the cross, redeeming all creation. You are the reward for him. And what you do on this earth is the reward back to him for redeeming you and giving you the power and the authority in the first place. Jesus gives us power and authority and dominion. Why? Because what you do with your life comes back to him as a reward at the end of the age. Do you remember what we all started with Christ? We are co-heirs with Christ. Remember that? So that means that every victory, your victory is my victory. Because your victory is Jesus' victory, and I'm a partaker of Jesus when he gets his inheritance. And so every victory in the kingdom becomes my victory. Every battle won in the kingdom becomes my battle won. Every territory won in the kingdom becomes our territory. Every revelation in the kingdom becomes our revelation because we share it with Christ. Here's something fascinating too. If you read Revelation, it says the 24 elders, they're before the throne of Jesus. What do they do? Lay down their crowns. What we do in this life is producing something that we stand before Jesus and we say, thank you, Lord. Because the vein in this message is that, oh, well, you're elevating yourself. You're elevating, like we're, we're taking the attention off of God, but when you are fused with Jesus, there's, there's, you can't separate the two. Biblically, you cannot separate yourself from Jesus. And I'm tired of like the vein of Christianity that says that we need to, you know, minimize ourselves and we need to like make ourselves so lowly. But Jesus is like, what you do here becomes mine. And so co-rule and go kick butt in Jesus' name because I'm depending on that reward. <laughs> he wants that. So I challenge you to think differently about who you are, what you love, what you're gifted at, and to think that you have been made a ruler of that domain for this time so you can reconcile all things to Christ.